0: chapter 16, 1st Kings chapter 16, and we're continuing our series on the good, the bad and the ugly, looking at the kings of Israel and Judah. Um, I'll keep putting um, these up every week so we, we get an idea of where we are in terms of the timeline. Um, we've looked at Solomon who was the king of fools, he was a foolish king, um, he was the wisest man on the planet, and yet Um, The wives and concubines, he had turned his heart away from the Lord so that he set up many idols and high places uh, in Israel. And then we looked at Rehoboam, who was the king of second best. He didn't listen to the counsel of the wise, the older men in the kingdom. He listened to the counsel of the younger men. He uh, made the burden of the people harsher than his father. And as a result, the kingdom split into two. Judah in the south, which Rehoboam was the first king of, and Israel in the north, which Jeroboam was the first king of. He was a servant of Solomon, and Ahijah the prophet told him that God would give him ten tribes. Jeroboam reigned in in, in the northern kingdom of Israel for 22 years, and during that time, uh, Rehoboam was king, Abijah was king, he was the king of two names, Abijah, Jehovah is my father. He was also known as Jem. Yam is my father, which was a sea god of the Canaanites. He reigned for two years. And then Asa, the first godly king, the king who started well, reigned for 41 years. During that 41-year reign of Asa, you had a lot of turnover in the northern kingdom. Um, in the, the last two years of Jeroboam's reign, Asa came to the throne... And then you had Jeroboam's son, Nadab, who was the king of defiance. Even though he saw the mistakes of his father, he didn't listen uh, to any counsel of the Lord. He just was so defiant that the dynasty of Jeroboam ended. But Asher um, killed Nadab, and as a result, he uh, wiped out Jeroboam's family, fulfilling the prophecy of Ahijah, and he reigned on the throne for 24 years. He was the king of provocation. We were told that he provoked the Lord to anger. And then the king we're going to look at today is, uh, or we're going to look at two kings today. We're going to look at Elah, which was Baasha's son, and then we're going to look at Zimri, um, who killed Elah. So, Elah was the weak king, and Zimri was the weak king. All will be explained. So, first of all, we're going to look at Elah, the weak king. W-E-A-K, the weak king. Ah, people have worked it out now. Zimri only reigned for seven days. You're like, oh, all so clever. Elah, the weak king. First Kings chapter 16. And verse eight, it says, "In the twenty and sixth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Elah the son of Baasha to reign over Israel in Tirzah two years. And his servant Zimri, captain of half his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Tirzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Aza, steward of his house in Tirzah. And Zimri went in and smote him and killed him in the twenty and seventh year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his." dead. Father, we thank you again for this time together, this morning, for this opportunity to come around you a word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today and help us to recognize the importance of applying your word to our hearts and to our lives. Lord, it's incredible that we can talk about these kings. Um, Jeroboam was told by Ahijah the prophet exactly what would happen, but Asher was told by Jehu the prophet exactly what would happen, but none of that caused them to change their ways Lord, we have you a complete, inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God in our hands. You tell us what's going to happen in our lives if we live a certain way, and yet we refuse to obey or trust or read your word. So Lord, help us today to apply your word to our hearts and to our lives. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So Elah was... The weak king, and little is recorded about this son of Asher, who came to the throne in the 26th year of Asa, who was the king of Judah. He only reigned for two years. It is clear from what is recorded. You know, oftentimes, um, you know, you don't have to say much to say a lot. Uh, If you've ever noticed, um, probably this happens more with the women. Women don't have to say much in order to say a lot. Um, Sometimes Joe just needs to speak one word and I'm like, oh, she's said a lot in that one word that she's just said. And sometimes we see in Scripture that you don't have to say a lot to say a lot. Not much is recorded about Elah, but just with the little we have tells us exactly the type of person that he was. He was a man more interested in socializing and self-indulgence than he was in spiritual matters. He wasn't he was he was probably more concerned about self-indulgence and socializing even the, than he was about political matters, certainly more than religious matters. There's no indication here that he had any time for the Lord or for his word. And therefore just followed in his father's footsteps and was even worse in that way than his father was. The only appearance in the scripture, imagine this to be your lasting legacy. You know, what would you like, uh, and, I, and I've seen this happen uh, in funerals where people stand up and say, Oh, do you know what? Um, it was great, because the greatest memory I have of my loved one is how drunk they were. Oh, wow, what a legacy. That's awesome. That's incredible. But that's the legacy that we have of Vila. He was drinking himself stupid. Um, he was um, drinking himself drunk in the house of ours, a steward of his house in Tirzah. Uh, it's incredible um, that alcohol is probably the one thing that gets christians really wound up i said this um, months and months and months ago it was it was i think we were coming out of covid so we had a lot of people watching online that weren't part of the church and i made that statement i just said that alcohol is one of the things that really if christians want to drink it's the one thing they really fight you about and will argue about and I don't drink, you know my views of alcohol, I don't touch the stuff, I don't want to touch the stuff, job done. Um, I know what my belief is of what the scripture says, um, but the ones who want to justify drinking will really argue with you and defend their position. And I made that statement and I said it's incredible how, how, how many Christians will argue about that. You should have seen the amount of correspondence we had that week. Just because people said, well, you need to show us where it says in the Bible. You need to tell us why we shouldn't. You need to say why. If you're not convicted about it, why do I need to show you where it says not to do it? That's got to be a conviction. But you'd be surprised. You talk to a Christian about alcohol, and they'll get really wound up about it. Um, But the Bible's clear. Um, You know, the... The Bible talks about drunkenness, the dangers of strong drink. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Yeah, but it's okay. We can have a little bit. And, you know, the amount of times people say, well, Jesus drank wine. Jesus turned water into wine. And we often think that because the best wine was left to the last, it was the most alcoholic, uh, the, the, the most alcohol potent of the wine. It wasn't. It was just the, the best tasting didn't mean that it was the strongest in alcohol. Wine in biblical days is not the same as wine today. But Christians want to justify that position. Hey, if you want to drink. <laughs> hang on, let me rephrase that. Um, if you want to drink, crack on. But don't stand and justify it to me and defend your position. Because the Bible is clear what it says about alcohol. Ecclesiastes 10, 16 says, Woe to thee, O land, when the king is a child and thy princes eat in the morning. Blessed. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. Drunkenness today has become a badge of honor. Man City just won the treble, whatever that means. I think they won, like, the FA Cup and the, the League and the European Cup. And the biggest story was that one of their players that had been on what they call a bender for days and days and days and days. And it was like a badge of honour. Great. So you, you drunk yourself stupid for all of that time. Wonderful. But I can promise you this. That act of self-indulgence will catch up with you. Um don't think that you can, can do that and, and not be affected by it. So many lives have been ruined and shortened by alcohol. Um, Thomas, Edison, Thomas Edison said, To put alcohol in the human body is like putting sand in the bearings of an engine. Alcohol makes a man colourful. It gives him a red nose, a white liver, a yellow streak, and a blue outlook. Statistics in the USA show for every 10,000 people killed by alcohol, only one is killed by a dog. Yet, we shoot the dog and we promote the alcohol. And isn't that true today? You know, the the government are never going to ban alcohol, even though it's probably one of the most addictive drugs that we have out there, um, because they make too much money on it. The same as tobacco, we can put as much... Um, health warnings on the labels, um, but it doesn't make a difference. You know, I... Uh, you, you see, and I'm sure, you know, our nurses and, and Julian can probably say the amount of times that they've been to instances that have been caused by alcohol-related um, issues. And it's a real problem. You know, some people say, oh, I can't help it, and we'll blame drunkenness on, on alcoholism being a disease it's the only disease you need a license to propagate or the only disease that's bottled and sold. It's the only disease that requires outlets to spread it around. It's the only disease that produces revenue for the government. It's the only disease that provokes crime. It's the only disease that can become a habit. It's the only disease that is spread by advertising. It's the only disease that brings death on our roads. And it's the only disease that is not caused by a germ or a vírus. To say alcoholism is a disease is a cop-out. It is a sin, pure and simple. This is not the first time that Hila has got into this situation. And this is probably a, a regular occurrence. How did Zimri know where to find him? I know that he was captain of the chariot, so he probably, you know, had a good handle on where his master was, but this is probably something that happened over and over and over again. Zimri knew exactly where to find and betray his king. Uh, You know, it's hard. And we see this, I suppose, you know, in in a few instances uh, where servants, you know, but Asher didn't come from nowhere, Um, you know, when when he took Nadab's life, uh, they were close. Uh, And so to be betrayed by somebody who is close to you hurts. Uh, um, How many times have you been hurt by a friend? Betrayed by a friend. That stings more than being hurt by somebody you've never met or didn't even know. Uh, And it can be hard. It can be hard to forgive. The Lord said, Moreover, if thy brethren shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou was gained thy brother. It's hard um, to be able to deal uh, with somebody that's hurt you in a particular way. Um, This just once again illustrates Elah's weakness. You know, he was weak in the fact that his sinful desi- devices took over. He was weak in the fact that he couldn't read the situation around him. He couldn't read that the one possibly closest to him uh, would end up betraying him. Uh, Elah's judgment was sudden and unexpected. You know, we, we kind of, uh, and I've heard, I've heard people saying this, well, I, I, I never thought that it would happen to me. You know, sometimes we allow a little sin to come into our lives. And we might say, well, you know, what? a little alcohol is okay. I can drink a little bit and that'll be fine. And it might be for you. But for your kids watching that, they might not be able to cope with a bit because that might lead on to another bit and to another bit. And before you know it, the alcoholic never intended to become an alcoholic. But it just takes one step at a time. Elah's judgment was sudden and unexpected. And judgment can come swiftly. Proverbs 29:1. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Ecclesiastes 9:12 says, For man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in a snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon that zimri not only slew elah but he slew his whole house in verse 12 it says thus did imri destroy all the house of baasha according to the word of the lord which he spake against baasha by jehu the prophet he did not spare a single male whether relative or friend baasha had fulfilled the prophecy of Ahijah, because Baasha, remember, killed all of Jeroboam's family. And now Zimri fulfills the prophecy of Jehu as he kills all of Baasha's family. The dynasty of Jeroboam was no more. The dynasty of Baasha was no more. But in Judah, remember, the Lord said, I will leave David, I will leave a tribe for David, my servant's sake. In Judah, the dynasty of David remains uh, until the Babylonian captivity. So, we see Elah, the weak king, and then we see Zimri, the weak king. It says about Zimri uh, in uh, verse 15, In the 20th and 70 year of Asa, king of Judah, did Zimri reign seven days. He reigned for one week in Tirzah. And the people that were encamped against Gibbethon, which belongeth to the Philistines, and the people that were encamped heard, say Zimri hath conspired, and hath also slain the king. Wherefore all Israel made Omri the captain of the host king over Israel that day in the camp. And Omri went up from Gibbethon and all Israel with him, and they besieged Tirzeph. And it came to pass, when Zimri saw that the city was taken, that he went into the king, into the palace of the king's house and burnt the king's house over him with fire and died. For his sins which he sinned in, the, in, the, in doing evil in the sight of the Lord, in walking the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin which he did to make Israel sin, now the rest of the acts of Zimri and his treason that he wrought, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Have you ever heard the phrase, that's just the way the cookie crumbles? Oftentimes we say that when something unfortunate has happened and there's nothing really you can do about it. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Uh, And you can literally see in the northern kingdom of Israel, you can see Israel's cookie crumbling. Um, You know, Jeroboam had the opportunity to set up a kingdom that would be just like David's. You know, the the Hyder, the prophet, said that to him. If you obey the Lord... If you do this, then your kingdom, you know, could be just as good as David's. But the cookie is crumbling. The nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, is falling apart. You know, we see treachery after treachery. We see wickedness after wickedness. We see Baasha killing Nadab. We see Zimri killing Elah. Zimri has assassinated King Elah. Uh, while he's in this drunken stupor, and he takes control of the throne of Israel. But he will not be on the throne for long. It was one week, but it was a week that was bathed in blood. Thus did Zimri destroy all the house of Baasha, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake against Baasha, by by Jehu the prophet. Isn't it amazing that says, that Zimri, um, in verse 19, says, for his sins which he sinned in doing evil in the sight of the Lord, in walking in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin which he did to make Israel sin. He had one week on the throne, and yet in that one week, his actions caused the nation to sin. Word of his uh, conspiracy had reached. Um, word of his conspiracy had reached Omri, uh, as they were still in Gibbethon. If you remember, um, I think it was Baasha that they were, they were they they were fighting against Gibbethon. Let me just double check. Yeah, so they were still, they were still, Baasha the son of Ahijah of the house of Isaac conspired against him and Baasha smote him at Gibbethon. Um, So Nadab was trying to take Gibbethon. We remember Baasha reigned for 24 years and they're still fighting against the city of Gibbethon. The Philistines, remember that David had subdued the Philistines and yet they're still having this thorn in their flesh not walking in the ways of the Lord. They are still struggling and, um, and, and battling with this issue of uh, you know, not being able to, to win these battles. Um, so um, the word of this conspiracy reached Omri uh, as they are fighting against um, uh, Gibbethon. They want their commander, they want Omri uh, to be king on that very day. They head up towards uh, uh, Terza to, to take out Zimri. And Zimri's life, world, is falling apart. Is absolutely just imploding. And sometimes we feel like our world is falling apart. Sometimes we feel like our life is just literally imploding. But there are some kind of warning signs for that. First of all... There are several reasons how our life can fall apart. First of all, it is basing our decisions on that which is popular, not by that which is in accordance with God's will. How many kids in school did you know that were, you know, if you did certain things in school, you became popular? Uh, and there was always that group of kids in school were the popular kids, you know, so everybody wanted to dress like the popular ones, you know, that they they would only date um, certain people if they were popular with other kids or they would only do something uh, if they were popular. And sometimes the popular kids weren't necessarily the ones that were a good influence. You know, the popular kids were the ones who were able to come in with, stashes of mum and dad cigarettes pinched from the house and that they would head to a certain direction in the school. Um, The popular kids were the ones who were maybe um, sexually immoral. Maybe they were the ones who were able to get hold of alcohol, whatever it might have been. God values the character of a person, doesn't value their popularity, and oftentimes we can make decisions purely and simply based on popularity. But that's what everybody else is doing. You know, I remember Lloyd saying one time, I, I talked about the Christian sometimes feeling like the salmon that is swimming upstream, that's going against the flow. And Lloyd said, did you know the salmon is the strongest fish in the river? Because it goes against the flow, God doesn't judge us on our popularity. He judges us on our testimony, on our character, on our, on our morality basing our decisions on what's popular can cause our our life from a spiritual point of view to fall apart. Secondly, making rash decisions without praying can cause our life to fall apart. Our worst decisions will usually be the ones that we rush into. Our worst decisions will usually be the ones that we um, rush into. Um, that we don't take time to pray about. Uh, Verse 17 says, Omri went up from Gibbethon and all Israel with him, and they besieged Tirzah. They don't accept Zimri as king, and the support of his army give Omri the the confidence to attack the city of of Terza. He had the support um, of the people. Uh, The clamor and the cheers of the crowd inspired him to attack the crowd we hang around will have a massive influence on our lives. Um, I I know from experience, you know, when you used to do things in the classroom, I, I, I recognized the fact that I could be a class clown. I realized that. And I liked, it made me feel good if I could make people laugh. And oftentimes, you would do that at the expense of the teachers. But as soon as you got one laugh that would lead on to another laugh, and that would lead on to maybe pushing the boundaries a little bit too much, crossing that line. And what happens is, is, you know, when we um, make decisions on what's popular, when we make decisions without praying about it, we can get ourselves into a real pickle, we can get ourselves into a real mess, following the wrong crowds cause our life to implode the days to do wrong the chance of chicken scaredy cat, you know our kids today I I absolutely feel for them, especially for kids who are saved who love the Lord Jesus Christ, when they go into school and then they mock their belief system. They mocked for being in church. They mocked for reading the Bible. And the the peer pressure you know, it won't hurt you. You know, why didn't you do this? Skady cat, coward, chicken and following the wrong crowd can cause us to be led astray. can cause our life to fall apart. And that doesn't just go for the kids as well in school. That goes for any of us. Because how tempting is it when we, you know, when we maybe get in with the wrong crowd to say, oh, you know, I'm a Christian and I, I can pass my beliefs on to them and, you know, they'll become a Christian, but sometimes it's easier for them to have more of an influence on us than it is for us to have an influence on them. And then suddenly you may find yourself doing some of the things that they do and rather than being a testament you just start blending in it doesn't take long for the spiritual side of you to fall apart whosoever keepeth the Lord is a wise son but he that he that is a companion of a righteous man shameth his father the wrong crowd can lead us down a dark path enter not into the path of the wicked and go not into the way of evil men avoid it Pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. It came to pass, in verse 18, when Zimri saw that the city was taken, that he went into the palace of the king's house and burned the king's house over him with fire and died. Zimri's plans are going down the drain. I don't know Zimri's plans are going down the drain. Um, He finds out that he's not as popular as he thought. You know, maybe he's gone with the crowd. Maybe he's... um, Maybe he's followed uh, the wrong crowd, maybe he's followed the wrong advice, maybe he's um, made decisions uh, based on popularity, maybe, um, you know, word of the prophecy got out that who had said, so Zimi said, well, you know, maybe I can do this, I'm in the position to do that, and when he gets what he wants, he realizes that not everything is going to go his way. His plans are going down the drain. He's not as popular as he thought. And when the city is under under siege, he simply can't go on. He basically takes the decision, well, if I can't have it, nobody can have it. And unfortunately, he takes matters into his own hands and takes his own life. He takes his own life. Some people feel the same way as Zimri. You know, it was heartbreaking going through COVID um, to hear of so many people taking matters into their own hands, and feeling that that was the only option, um, that there was no one to talk to, uh, that there was no um, hope, um, that the only way, uh, the only possible outcome was to take matters into their own hands and to take their own lives. Um, the statistics in the US and in the UK are, are staggering. In the last 30 years, uh, there are 10 teenagers for every 100,000 that take their own lives. It is the second leading cause um, of death among teens. Um, and it's heartbreaking when you see youngsters taking that as their only option because they feel that they don't have anybody to talk to. If you go on the Samaritan website, it says when they interview teenagers that some of the things that they are struggling with today, they don't feel like they can talk about to anybody. One of the biggest things is loneliness. You know, we've, we've kind of gone through the days of kids going out into the street and playing. You know, I saw a picture uh, the other day which I thought was brilliant. You know, how, do we, how, how does information get passed around the day you find it out on, on Facebook? You know where people are compared on their, their, their update on Facebook. You knew where people were in, in, like my days, depending on where their bikes were parked. If all the bikes were outside one particular house, that's where the kids were. You knew that, you know, when we went out in the summer, we had one, one rule. As soon as the streetlights come on, you're home. That, that, that was the rule, and you were out playing. But today now, kids just spend an incredible amount of time on their own. Or they might talk to people online when they're playing their games, when they're on their PlayStations or Xboxes or whatever it is, but they're on their own. Um, and that, uh, unbelievably, makes them feel Isolated. You know, dealing with a tragedy in their lives. Um, dealing with a health problem. How do you, uh, how do you even know when somebody is going through um, something incredibly difficult? like Are there any warning signs? This is uh, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry said uh, that there are some warning signs to look out for. Changes in eating habits and sleeping habits. Withdrawal from family and activities. Violent or rebellious behavior, running away, drug or alcohol abuse, changes in hygiene, persistent boredom, difficulty concentrating, decline in schoolwork, frequent stomach aches, headaches, fatigue, inability to accept praise, feeling rotten, giving away favorite possessions, verbal hints. Last year, 200 youngsters took their own lives. uh, And and the Samaritan said that, worryingly, Um, Youngsters today say they don't feel that they can talk to anybody about it. You know, our youngsters are precious. Our youngsters have got so much pressure on them today. And we need to pray for them. We need to take time to listen to them. Many times our kids are struggling with things that we never had to face in our generation. You never had to face in your generation. Sometimes they feel that the only way out is to take matters into their own hands. And whilst that might be, in their view, a quick answer for them, it devastates the family. It can destroy the family. It can cause the family so much pain and hurt and heartache that only the Lord himself can lend a touch to be able to heal the gap and the void that's been left. Zimri took matters into his own hands. He based decisions on what was popular, made decisions without praying, followed the wrong crowd, and allowed sin to dominate. When we allow sin to dominate our lives, don't be surprised if your life starts to fall apart. Verse 19, For his sins which he sinned in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And again, you might say, well, wait a minute, Jehu said that uh, Asher's family would be wiped out. So Zimri was just doing God's bidding. No, God may have, you know, God knew what was going to happen, That didn't mean that God's seal of approval was on Zimri, wiping out um, Asher's family. And it says, Zimri sinned for his sins, which he sinned in doing evil in the sight of the Lord, in walking in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin which he did to make Israel to sin. Don't think that we can dabble with sin, and it won't affect our lives, and it won't uh, harm us in any way. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. Proverbs 11:13 says, The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of the transgressors shall destroy them. Zimri walked in the way of idolatry like Jeroboam. He walked in the way of immorality like Jeroboam. He walked in the way of sensuality like Jeroboam. And people's lives influence other people. We have a responsibility to live our lives a certain way because we will always have an impact on somebody else. Everything we do, everything we say, whether we like it or not, is being watched, is being scrutinized. You know, people can't wait for us to do wrong because either it justifies their behavior, well, so-and-so did it, So if they do it, it's okay for me to do it. Or for the unbeliever looking at the believer to mess up, it's another nail in the coffin, as it were, for God's testimony that he has made any difference in our lives. Let me ask you this question. If Zimri walked in the ways of Jeroboam, so if people walked in your ways, where would they go? what would they believe? What would they do? Who would they follow? If people walked in your ways, would they come to know Christ as their Savior? Our whole lives are meant to point people to Christ. Our whole lives are meant to be a light to a lost and dying world. Our whole lives are meant to be a living epistle, to be seen of all men, to be read of all men. That Christ makes a difference. That Christ is the only hope that we have, and not just in this world, but certainly in the world to come. And our life needs to point people to Christ, whether at school, whether at work, whether at home, even in church. Zimri's life fell apart because he allowed sin to dominate and because he reaped what he sowed. A fifth reason why our life could fall apart is because we reap what we sow. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man uh, soweth. That shall he also reap. Zimri sowed treachery. So what happened? He reaped treachery. He sowed violence. So what happened at the end of his life? He reaped violence. He sowed hatred. What happened? As Omri and the army of Israel came against Tirzah, he reaped hatred. He sowed sudden death and destruction. And he himself reaped sudden death and destruction. I wonder if sometimes our life is falling apart because we reap what we sow. When we're not faithful to the Lord, why should we expect the Lord to be faithful to us? When we're not praying in accordance with his will, why do we expect God to answer our prayers when they're selfish? We reap what we sow. So we need to be mindful that we're sowing the right things. So we can reap the right things. Like I said, our life is meant to be a testimony. We're meant to sow light. We're meant to sow love. We're meant to uh, sow uh, a testimony that shows people Christ makes a difference in our hearts and lives. Are we hateful towards people? You know, and let me tell you this you could love everybody and be pleasant to everybody. And that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be pleasant back, but it certainly helps. A soft answer turneth away wrath. You know, I've seen it so many times. Um, you know, we, we were in the airport coming back from Hannah's, and we had the two most horrendous check-in staff you've ever seen in your life. They were horrible. They were absolutely vile. I can't remember their names now. I thought I said, name and shame him. But they were just really horrible. Um, and you could feel yourself kind of getting worked up. Um, and Joe was just so nice and like, hey, you know, look, I worked in the airline. You know, I, was, I, I, was at, um, you know, I did the check-ins for an airline. And, and she was so lovely and pleasant um, that we did have to end up calling for the supervisor. Was immediately on the defensive, but as soon as the supervisor came, Joe's soft answer turned away, Roth. And she was so nice to this woman, even though they were being horrible to us. Joe was so nice to this woman, you couldn't be horrible to that. So she reaped what she sowed. They still charged this man, but that's another story. Um, but sometimes we want to react in a certain way. But we need to sow love. If we sow hatred and bitterness and anger and have you ever done that in the car? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever done that in the car? Maybe um somebody cuts you up and you're like, ah, and you beep the horn, and you're like, ah and then immediately they do it, they like they are so apologetic. They like, maybe wave their hand and like, oh I'm so sorry, and then you feel really guilty for beeping the horn. It's a similar thing—a soft answer turneth away wrath. You know, we can get ourselves into a whole host of trouble on the roads by the way we react. Because when we get aggravated with somebody, and then they get aggravated, we don't do road rage in America because they all carry guns. So we like, yeah, cut us up, no problem. (laughs) Yeah, no, no nobody's. But we don't let them get away with that in the UK. You know, the amount of times I've seen these dashboard cameras, and you know. Little angry people who beep their horns and then they get out of the car and they, they bang on the window and then the guy gets out of the car and he's massive. And they suddenly like, oh no, no, It was your right way after all. It was your right away. I'm in the wrong way. I'm sorry. But we reap what we sow. If we go around being angry at everything and bitter at everything and just criticizing everything, then we're going to reap a whole host of negativity in our lives. And that's not going to glorify the Lord. So let's sow when it comes to our Bible reading. Let's sow when it comes to our praying. Let's sow when it comes to our testimony. Let's sow when it comes to our witnessing. Let's sow when it comes to even loving those who don't deserve to be loved. Even forgiving those who've wronged us in the past. Because we'll always reap what we sow. Our life, our life can fall apart. Our life can fall apart if we base our decisions on what's popular, not on God's Word. Our life can fall apart when we make decisions without prayer. Our life can fall apart when we follow the wrong crowd. Our life can fall apart when we allow sin to dominate. We've been forgiven from sin, but we're not free from the presence of sin. And that old flesh nature will still be drawn back a sinful habits. We allow sin to dominate, our life can fall apart. And just bear in mind the basic biblical principle we will always reap what we sow. Elah was a weak king, there was a weakness in his, in his character. He allowed pleasures to dominate. Alcohol took over his life. He was too weak to say no. He was too weak to lead as he should have. He was too weak to not go in the same direction as his father. And he suffered the consequence for that. Zimri was a weak king in the fact that he only reigned for seven days, for one week. But in that seven days, he caused havoc. And his life fell apart because of those five reasons there don't allow your life to fall apart god has given you so much he has given us more than we can possibly comprehend or imagine so let's honor him in the way that he deserves those that honor god the bible says he will honor father we thank you again for this day and for this time together and for this opportunity to come around you, a word. We just pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak to our hearts and to help us, Lord, recognize those moments in our lives where we're headed in a wrong direction. Would you give us the conviction we need at the time we need it so that we can honor you in a way that you deserve. Father, we just pray that our lives would be a walking, living testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ and that it would point others to the Savior rather than causing uh, those who are lost uh, to think that the church is just full of hypocrites because we uh, just act like another hypocrite who says one thing on a Sunday and acts just like the rest of the world for the other six days of the week. So, Father, would you bless us? Would you help us? Would you recognize those areas that we need work on? And would you just continue to work in our lives that we might glorify you in all we do? For we pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Men are standing saying, I will last hymn together. Thank you. And I wonder if Julia will close us in a word of prayer. Thank you, Gerald.